Welcome to Things Musicians Don't Talk About with me, Hattie Butterworth. I am a cellist and writer recently graduated from the Royal College of Music in London. I'm on a journey to change the way musicians see vulnerability. In the classical music profession, it can often feel very difficult to talk about issues that affect us personally, such as mental health, injury, financial issues, race, gender and class, to name but a few. I believe that through connecting with other musicians about these issues, we can bring humanity into our music, understanding how ultimately the darkness we face makes us who we are and that we are not alone. Join me in guests as we have honest conversations about the things musicians don't talk about. Hi everyone and welcome to another podcast. Had a little few weeks break, um, but it was actually lovely to give a bit of time for the episode with Nikita to sort of settle in, for people to take time to listen to it, because I know it was quite long, but I had some really great feedback from it. And I've been contacted by actually quite a few musicians who suffer with OCD and who actually didn't realise how many others do. And so I think it's really something that we need to start talking about. And I'm so pleased that Nikita um, agreed to start that conversation with me because, yeah, the more I open up about my own experience with it, the more I realise that it's something that many musicians are sadly suffering with. Um, And it's kind of because I think of what I spoke about, which is that kind of, um, what's the word paradox between having a sort of obsessive side of your personality meaning that you're very interested and committed to music but the sort of alternate side to that being that actually you can be quite susceptible to suffering with obsessive thoughts and anxiety um but anyway it's lovely to start that conversation and please keep um talking about it and sharing stories with me and everything and we'll see what we can do to keep the conversation going as best as possible but this week is a very exciting week because I am talking to Hannah Fiddy who is the co-founder and director of Alternative Classical. I am going to let her explain a bit more about what Alternative Classical is but I'm sure a few of you have seen some of the work that they've been doing over um, the past year or so. But Hannah is also a creative entrepreneur. She is a classical consultant and content creator who specialises in social media and also currently runs the media channels for the choral composer John Rutter. So we have such a great conversation about alternative classical, this incredible incentive that she has set up, um, to bring classical music to more diverse audiences. So we talk about this. We also talk about Hannah's own musical journey and how she sees her piano playing as something um, purely for her own enjoyment and not something to share with others necessarily and why that's actually quite important way around being a musician for some people. Then actually we also talk about the effect of social media 
at the moment and this pressure to promote yourself online and how to go about that if you're finding <laughs> the social media thing very difficult. She gives some brilliant, brilliant, brilliant advice about that. Um, and it was a question I asked a lot for myself as much as anything else because I feel this feeling of like I want to promote things but then I also want to have a balance and quite often feel like I can't face being online for long periods of time um, but it's wonderful to talk about that and yeah it's clear that she has a really great balance um, and yeah incredible experience with it as well so really excited for you to hear this conversation between us and thank you so much to Hannah yet again um, and if you want to follow Alternative Classical Hannah does oh sorry I just dropped my pen Hannah does explain about it but um, the Instagram if you want to go on it while listening is at Alter Classical and I don't quote me but I think it's the same on Twitter um, and yes I really hope you enjoyed this episode thank you everyone so much for continued support Hello, Hannah. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing, first of all? Hi, Hattie. Thank you so much for inviting me on the podcast. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> um, I am doing really well, thank you. How are you doing? I am doing so well. Like, I don't know, something about the days getting longer has just helped <laughs> with the lockdown Definitely. for me. Anyway. Yes. I've got the sun streaming through my window as we speak so I feel mm. very happy about that it's very cold but it is very nice and bright and sunny mm, I think it's the best combination actually of, of weather perfect I just uh, yes like how winter's supposed to be I'm sick of this like mild rain rubbish like no obvious well maybe not obviously but I'm sure the introduction to this podcast I will explain that you are the founder of this amazing new um, project called Alternative Classical, which I have so enjoyed following and following your journey with it all. And obviously, I really want to get into how this all came about and how you set it up. But before we talk about it, I'd, I'm just really interested to hear your own musical journey and your background in general and how all this came about, really. Sure, yeah. Let's, um, I suppose, start at the beginning. I think I probably had a fairly similar background to a lot of people in the music industry in that I started playing instruments when I was young, I guess maybe age seven or something like that. Um, so I started with the recorder, as we all do <laughs> at primary school. I also took up the violin at primary school and ended up getting recorder lessons and violin lessons at school and then funnily enough I so I got to grade five on the recorder and then my hands were too small to continue playing because at that point I think after that point you have to uh, also play a treble recorder and the bigger recorders and even now I have tiny hands and I don't think I would be able to to cope with that so at that point I stopped playing the recorder and moved on to the piano um, and I'm really loving playing the piano so much at the moment in lockdown. Uh, it's a treat to be at home next to my piano so I can just uh, dip in and out in between working and uh, relaxing. Um, and then I also sang in my local church choir and I sang in the school choir. So I think my whole life has just been 
music from a really young age and I suppose I always just loved it and it really resonated with me. I didn't want to be a performer. I, for one reason, is that I get quite bad performance nerves and I've always really been interested in being behind the scenes, making things happen, being really creative, um, but not, not necessarily being the one on the stage. Uh, so I do lots of music making personally and I do uh, I used to run a choir before lockdown uh, and I sing in various places so I'm kind of doing music all the time but for me it wasn't the right thing to go and be a performer so I did a music degree at Cambridge um, which for which I didn't do any performing at all so that was more like music theory music analysis music history I'm really nerdy about all of that so (laughs) Um, yeah, and then um, whilst I was there, I ran the uh, music society at my college, and that was where I first got my taste of putting together recital series, concert series, um, organising the college orchestra, and I just really loved opening up. I suppose that's where it all started, where I just really wanted to bring the amateur music making to as many people as possible and mm. just get people to come along and give it a go. And from there, lots has happened, I suppose, in my career where I've taken that to a professional level. Wow, yeah. So in your music degree, I'm guessing it was a choice you made at the start. I don't want performance to be sort of something I marked on. I'm guessing you could choose. Could you? Yes, I think there was an option. Possibly, I can't remember if it was all years. Maybe it was uh, in the final year. But I just opted to do... I think I probably did an analysis portfolio instead or something like that and or a dissertation and I love doing that kind of stuff so <laughs> that's right up my street. <laughs> it's funny to hear someone say they love that because I feel like the whole way through college it was like ah, everyone complaining yeah. that we had to do like one hour a week of it <laughs> but people that like it exist. Yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a funny one because I think I I encounter a lot of musicians and I think there's always this sense that if you're doing something that's not performing, that perhaps it's a second option or it's, mm. uh, you know, you, you couldn't get to do that first option. And for me, it's just that's never been the case. I love performing for fun and in the privacy of my own home, but I don't think that I would necessarily be the best performer. <laughs> uh, and I really love being behind the scenes. So... I just love that because I'm thinking a lot at the moment, actually, about what practice or playing means in my life and in mm. our lives as as musicians. And I think what you say is so it just so resonates in a way in that even though I do enjoy performing, actually, I've noticed that music is when I play on my own it's kind of like going on a run or in a walk like it's also for your mental health and it doesn't have to be Mm. for anyone else I know obviously we want to give it to other people because it's you know a gift and things but if you feel kind of saturated or overstimulated and performing is difficult for you then actually just performing for yourself is so great for your mental and just makes you feel like you've accomplished something I think It really does. Mm. I was thinking about this the other day when I was playing. um, So my way of playing the piano is that I just I really like sight reading. Again, that's probably something that a lot of people (laughs) don't have. (laughs) Um, 
<laughs> so my way of playing is I just pick up a book of, say, Mozart sonatas or Mendelssohn mm. songs without words, and I just kind of play my way through them. As I mean, not perfectly by any means, but I love that variety. And mm. I have always been quite private about it. And I realised that I think it's because I'm not even necessarily thinking about the music. At least I'm not thinking about it 100%. I, my mind is kind of taking that time to wander and to think mm. about things. And so I'm always really surprised if, say, someone walks in on me when I'm playing something. I feel almost intruded upon because it's almost mm. like I'm writing in a journal or something like that, that my mind is just going to all these places and I can be a little bit surprised that, oh, someone's suddenly there and it's totally not for anyone else to listen to. Uh, it's more just for my, I just love playing and yeah. Right. It's so cathartic. It's so good for mental health. Um, it's just so fun. It's one of the only things I do in my life where I can completely lose track of time. And I suppose it's going into a, a flow state where yes. you're not, um, you don't have all those other thoughts going on and you don't really notice, oh, an hour's passed and I've just been playing notes. Um, and I think that's so beautiful. That's something we don't often get, actually, when we, as performers, and when the practice has to be so um, regimented and structured. I think mm. losing time with practice is something that is, it happens occasionally, but, it, you know, it's something that I think we lose because of this stress. <laughs> but it's lovely. Yeah, it, I, know, I know that feeling, and I know that it, it's so important to feel as free as clearly you do. Mm. And it must it must help in a way to relate to musicians to keep your own music going. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, I think there can be a sense that if you're not a, prof I, I I kind of get asked sometimes by musicians, oh, what are you getting out of this? Why are you working in music? And I I say to them, oh, well, I also did a music degree and I also had that childhood of doing music all the time, mm. going to concerts and all these things, and I'm just coming at it from a slightly different perspective, but. I love to sing, I love to play, I love mm. to listen to loads of things, I love to, uh, I used to go to lots of concerts, um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, I just, I guess I don't feel the need or the desire to mm. put that out of myself necessarily, I don't need to uh, bring it out of my own world, yeah. Yeah, you're like the ultimate appreciator, and you know exactly yeah. how to appreciate music and what it means for for others to create and I, I mean it's kind of a perfect time to talk about this incredible incredible project and I can't stress that enough to people and that before we go any further you have to check out the web Hannah's website which is called Alternative Classical I'm guessing is it .co.uk? .co.uk, that's it. <laughs> Amazing. Right, just in case there's one in like the states that we do. <laughs> um, so, what drew you to set this up? Can you explain to people what your goal was with setting this up? What it is and what you do day to day? Yeah, sure. So, I think how it started is possibly different from what it is now. Um, and I suppose everything grows organically and mm. develops over time. So that's been just a really lovely journey to be on, just to see what I'm needing creatively and how I want to express myself. Um, so Alternative Classical is all about redefining classical music and 
really trying to develop those audiences, especially people in their 20s and 30s, who might be attracted by a slightly different way of presenting classical music. So one of the early things that we did was create an events guide for concerts that were being held in unusual locations, so perhaps a pub or a club or in a supermarket or a park or somewhere that's not uh, somewhere you'd traditionally expect to come across classical music. And uh, just, you know, I put all these events in one place because I found that I was going to so many fantastic events myself and all of my friends were saying oh how do you find out about these things Mm. and I thought oh yeah there is how do I find out about these things and I suppose it's because I knew the kind of organizations working in this area um so I was following what they were up to but I thought it seemed such a shame to for all the press and publicity really to be given to the more traditional uh the bigger events when there are so many ways of presenting classical music and we can be really creative and imaginative Mm. in how we think to present that to audiences um so an example is uh, at the beginning of lockdown last march um i created a tool called concert roulette um i don't know if you've seen this on the website Mm, i Um, have yeah i love it it's (laughs) It's a bit of fun um and this is a yeah it's a good example of a project that I didn't realize would become as popular as it has done in that it's now been played in uh 90 countries which wow. is uh crazy um so that is a way that you can just you press play and you're presented with a concert from somewhere around the world and you can choose to watch it or you can just press another and get taken to another concert hall or venue uh, somewhere else. And you can just keep spinning until you find a piece that you want. Um, so it kind of gives people that choice of whether they want to opt in. And there's so many pieces that maybe people think, oh, I really should like that piece. But none of us like every piece. And mm. that's fine. We all have different tastes. And it's great to just be able to find what you want to listen to and what resonates with you and that might be really different from what someone else enjoys um Mm. that's a really long long (laughs) long-winded way of saying um that yeah i'm just interested in bringing that creativity into the sector and just really trying to promote all the fantastic efforts going on by so many people around the country of putting on classical music in different spaces uh thinking about how to program it in different ways um whether that's a classical club night type thing where you've got dj sets and you've got uh i've been to so many things where we treat a classical concert almost like a gig so you've got uh everyone standing up you can have a drink there's maybe quite short sets so you can socialize at the same time turning it into maybe more of an experience um there's yeah there's definitely a place obviously, for the traditional setup um, and a time to be sitting there, you know, quietly for two hours and listening and really immersing yourself. And that's that's also great. Um, but I don't think it should stop us from exploring all the other ways that we can present this amazing music. Totally. I, I so understand what you're saying. And actually, I feel, while you're talking, I feel kind of ashamed that I haven't experienced more of this alternative music probably because 
it's just, as you say, there hasn't been the person or people so much around to put it all in the same place or put it all together in a way that people can feel inspired to explore it. I suppose I, I don't know what what it is, but I suppose, yeah, you know where the Royal Festival Hall is. So you, mm. you look it up and you go. But as you say, like there are so many quirky things going on and people thinking outside the box. And it's just fantastic that, you know, your own passion for that type of music, that type of classical experience can now be translated into this wonderful project, which I think is going to bring so many more people to it. I think it's really interesting to look at what other genres are doing. Um, and I used to go to lots of really imaginative events, uh, immersive theatre, um, secret cinema, um, punch drunk. There's so many amazing things going on. And they're real experiences that often you just think, I'm, I'm never going to forget that evening. And I would love to bring that sense to a classical experience. And that can happen in a traditional setting. Um, but I think there are different types of people and different appetites and uh, different ways that we can bring this music to life and different things will just, yeah, resonate with different people. And that's that's great. Yeah. So has your work been mostly around um, finding these events and promoting them? Or have you yourself set up any of these types of alternative events? Yes, yeah, so I, as well as being the co-founder of Alternative Classical, I'm a consultant and I work with various clients in um, building these projects. Um, so I have worked for Non-Classical, for example, who are mm. known for organising events in pubs in East London um, and it's kind of, yeah, putting contemporary classical and experimental classical in a really accessible setting. Um, so that was, that's been really interesting. I also worked with Street Orchestra Live at one point, mm. which is a touring pop-up orchestra that goes around the country. Um, and a typical day for the orchestra will be doing about six concerts per day. Uh, which sounds like a lot. Uh, so it's always quite a full-on day. And we would go to perhaps a hospital in the morning and play a half-hour concert there. Then we might go to a school. Uh, then we might stop off at train station and uh, play a symphony. Um, we might then go on to a street food market. There's all these amazing locations that you can go to. And what I loved about that was just removing that barrier of someone needing to buy a ticket and work yeah. out where's the venue and all of that stuff. Um, and it's the music's just right there in front of you. And there's no explanation about really, you know, what it is or, or why it's there. It's just, we're here, just enjoy the music. And for some people, that would be the only time they've ever seen a live orchestra. And the reaction was just so powerful. All the people I spoke to mm. who came across us and had their stories to tell. And yeah, so there's there's, there's so many organisations doing really interesting things. It's really, really exciting. Um, so I suppose Alternative Classical, for one thing we're doing is just trying to put them all in one place and promote them and have a central place that people can find out about them regularly so that we can kind of raise all of this up 
um, so that it's not just... I, I often feel that these events only reach a small portion of the even people within the industry, um, mm. and I would love to reach uh, someone who is perhaps culturally engaged, and they would pro- probably go to the Tate to see an exhibition. They might go to the Donmar Warehouse to see a play. They might read a book, listen to a podcast, do all these things. They're really culturally engaged, but they might not think to go to a concert. Mm. But if it was presented in a slightly different way, they'd be really curious about that and Mm. wouldn't be so perhaps intimidated by the idea that, oh, they already know what they're going to expect. Because I think people have this idea that, okay, you go to a concert, that means going to a concert hall, that means dressing up, that means being quiet, being shushed, um, not being allowed to drink or talk to your friends. Um, And it's quite nice to just slightly shift people's perceptions of what can happen. I love that, I really do, because that type of culturally engaged person, especially in our younger generation that you're trying to reach, you know, there are so many people who do exactly as you say and love walking around the Tate, love exploring new things. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you have an idea why maybe... I mean, you've said, you know, the quietness of a classical concert, but does it also maybe have something to do with how traditional it's said to be and maybe a political stance, maybe, you know... I don't, I don't know what you think about that. I think part of it is that this music... I think if you went to see a new play or a new exhibition, you're preparing yourself to be surprised. You don't really know what you're going to expect. Mm. You're going to be, you know... Uh, and I think people have the sense that I know what's going to happen in a classical concert because if I know that piece of music and I know the venue... I may as well almost do it at home because there's not going to be anything that could happen to change how I hear that. Uh, So I think that's, that's one thing. Um, I suppose it's just over the years been, yeah, it's definitely people think it's going to be a boring experience. I suppose (laughs) some people think, yeah, people have this expectation of it. Yeah, it is sometimes. I mean, even for musicians who perform, I know a lot of people have said to me, "I love performing," but to be honest with you, like I really hate going to classical concerts. Or I leave oh, at the interval. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I want to see the concerto, and then I don't want to listen to the symphony because it's boring, and I want to go home. You know, it happens. It, it happens to, even to very, very successful classical musicians because it is a lot to expect us to you know, to sit for that long and to be engaged and to be in touch. And it obviously it, it happens and there are fantastic ensembles that don't make the time pass quicker or make it feel like a full experience. But it, it, is, it can be dull. Like, we have to admit that. Like, it can. It can feel difficult to sit. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, I think we need to be brave and almost lean mm. into that and learn from that because I think we all get a bit scared of saying that. Um, But it's totally true. And I think if we, I I just know so many musicians who say, oh, I hate going to other people's concerts. Yeah, it's so true. (laughs) And that's such a common view. And I think, okay, if we're bored, then (laughs) why would we expect audiences not to be bored? Um, That is such a good point. So I think if, for example, I mean, I, I hold my hands up, I have left it. Uh, in the interval as well yeah um and so 
in which case, why don't we embrace doing a one-hour concert and not seeing that as some kind of half concert or, uh, yeah. you know, that that's sort of a... I think people get worried that it's somehow a cop-out, that, oh, you've got to be really in it and you've got to go and sit there for three hours and it's almost like the approach people have to exercise which is no yes. pain no gain and you've really got to put yourself through a really horrible grueling experience um but actually the best way to get fit is to find some kind of exercise that you find really fun and tap yeah. into doing it in uh, you know whatever whatever length that is or whatever style of exercise that is for you great and we can apply that same approach to classical music and thinking okay we all find it well some concerts we find too long so how can we uh think about changing that uh and what else is it that we find boring about it is it the way that people are uh the way that you're handed a program and then you have to kind of sit there and read this really tiny font and you've got to then it's almost like a lesson uh is there a way that we can think about introducing people the music or announcing what's going to happen in a really fun engaging way or yeah I think there's a lot that we can Mm. just think about and maybe we just need to own up and be brave about how do you find that experience and other people are probably more similar to you than you might Mm. uh, think so but we all uh, possibly hide behind thinking oh well someone else will like it (laughs) which may also be true (laughs) Um, I've also had a lot of people say that they way prefer going to lunchtime concerts because it's only an hour and because you kind of Mm. that's the amount of time you know you can cope with and it's not at the end of a long day of practicing or or working or whatever Um, definitely I think one of my difficult things was that I'd always find myself rushing across town and eating a sandwich on the tube in order to get to the concert hall on time. And I'd always be flustered and hot by the time I arrived. And I, that doesn't really put you in the best frame of mind to then (laughs) sit there and chill. And especially if you've had a really busy day at work and not leave. Um, So I know that there are lots of reasons why that, that is the case. And uh, I'm sure it works for lots of people, but there could be, and some people, some organizations are doing this already, where you might want a late night slot or yeah. you might want to go to a matinee or a, a yeah. morning something, or yeah. there's a lot of ways that we can just uh, bring variety in, I think. Yeah, that's one thing I found so... I mean, I worked at the proms for... I was steward for one... Oh. How long? When was it? Two, three years ago? And I, the late night proms for me have always had such a special feeling because there aren't quite as many people mm. there. And because it's so, you know, it just... It's such a kind of spiritual, special thing to be in a concert hall at that time of the time of day. And mm-hmm. sort of, I remember I went in the gallery and they were encouraging people if they want to lie down. And, you know, it's, it's, it's those kind of things where you feel more relaxed and there's less pressure to be watching because of that time of day. And because mm. it's the music has been programmed to be further late, later at night. And I, yeah, I think that taps into something really key, which is, I think, well, firstly, I think it's more of an experience. And I think a lot of our generation are really seeking that now. Um, and secondly, it gives you that flexibility of, do I want to lie down? Do I want to close my eyes? Do I want to sit and watch the musicians? And I think that choice is really key because... 
possibly some people have an issue with the fact that the only option most of the time is to just go and sit with a very straight back and watch. And if you're <laughs> kind of seen doing anything else, it's almost rude. Um, mm. But half the time you do want to close your eyes or lie down. Or mm. I've been to some concerts where uh, you can actually walk around the cathedral whilst it's happening. Uh, so there's some really great concerts happening in Southwark Cathedral by the City of London mm. Symphonia. And you can choose to uh, buy a ticket to have a seat and watch it in the kind of the normal way. Um, or you can buy a roaming ticket, which means that you can just walk around, have a look around the cathedral. There are cushions in different places, so you can lie down, you can close mm. your eyes. You can, If you find yourself getting fidgety, you can just uh, move on, and there's, there's no shame in that. It's, uh, it's totally fine. It's almost encouraged that you do that. I do have this question where I think maybe... I don't know. I, I, maybe this is my own sort of thing I'm putting on other people. But have you found at all that people might either find the idea of bringing classical music to different settings kind of difficult or that you're maybe not maintaining the authenticity or that it's going to be changed in some way or we're going to lose this magical sense of... And have you had any of that kind of resistance or definitely yes i think all the time <laughs> really okay yeah yeah i mean i am surrounded by people who are also really positive about it um but i do sense a lot of resistance and apprehension within the industry um i think especially if i talk about perhaps a concert happening in a pub People get really worried about that, that that means that, firstly, people won't really be listening. Um, secondly, that there'll be lots of noise. Um, perhaps it's background music. And actually, perhaps that is the case in, for, uh, yeah, in, in some ways. But all the ones that I've worked on, actually, the moment that the musicians start performing, you can hear a pin drop. Everyone is just concentrating and watching and being really respectful of the musicians um the ones I've worked on again it's been sort of in a soundproofed room at the back of the pub as opposed to just out there where you've got uh oh, I don't know yeah. drinks being poured and uh <laughs> food being brought out and all of that kind of stuff um and I think we probably need to get away from this idea that there's something that it's being diluted almost mm. I think that's the approach we have yeah um but i i think that's probably a that's a whole <laughs> massive massive topic um but i think that there are ways that we can do this without it suddenly losing everything i don't think it needs to become background music i suppose people are also worried that if you do put it on in interesting spaces and perhaps bring in some other elements, um, so some cross art stuff or mm. um, if there's cocktails or there's some other kind of offering that somehow people won't be so focused on the music um, and that if you go to a concert hall, then the only thing you can possibly focus on is the music. Um, yeah, that's really interesting because... I, I mean, it kind of goes back to what you say about there being a place for the concert hall, you know, and if you want to be focused, very focused on the music, 
that is a optimum situation maybe for some people to be able to do that but it's kind of like in an art gallery quite often I go for the atmosphere of being able to walk around and be free and look at art but not in a kind of serious way kind of you know what I mean it doesn't have to be really concentrated serious listening for it to be an experience that people get something from I think the lovely thing about an art gallery is that you can choose the pace at which mm. you might find a few paintings that you're just oh, not really that interested and you can just move on. And then you might find a painting that you'd love to sit in front of for 10 minutes and you can just do it all at your own pace. And I think there's something really freeing about that. We perhaps need to be mindful also that a lot of us in the industry have grown up with this music and we've been immersed in it for so many years and we've possibly studied it mm-hmm. and we've worked in it and therefore for us we might enjoy that two hour or three hour concert um but if you're someone that hasn't necessarily had so much exposure to it that could be potentially quite a lot um and i don't think or everything needs to be that kind of 100% mm. uh, situation. But I also don't think that, um, I suppose I resist this notion that if it's somehow in a different scenario, uh, that's not, uh, I think a lot A lot of people say to me, oh, are you trying to kind of lure people in by get, you know, doing a really fun event in yeah. order that you like convert them to going to the opera house to listen to the ring cycle. (laughs) And that is not at all what I'm trying to do. Um, I'm just trying to bring a fun spark of imagination uh, and just suggesting all the amazing things that we could do and so that we don't feel like we have to just stick with the kind of the one option. Mm. I think this ties in quite well to something that you're clearly very passionate about on your website and in general, which is bringing music to audiences and people who maybe, I mean, we can talk about privilege in this way of we've had the privilege maybe of being brought up to Mm. understand the concert setting and to understand classical music in a way that people aren't exposed to, like some people from different social and economic backgrounds aren't exposed to. Um, and I think that's what you're doing as well as you're breaking down that barrier and you're saying, no, this doesn't have to be done in a way that it alienates different people and alienates different sectors of society. Mm. Is that something that's, I'm guessing that's something that's important because it it does look like you've done amazing work with that. Definitely. I do wonder if that's partly from my background, um, in the sense that I was brought up with all this music, but I would say I'm from a lower middle class background mm. and I wasn't from London. I don't think I went to see an opera until I had moved to London age. I don't know, I was probably in my early 20s, probably after I'd finished my degree. Um, I'm from a really suburban place. Uh, and I think I've always had this sense that there must be a way that we can open this up. Um, And I suppose a lot of the industry is from a slightly different background. Um, And I suppose it's perhaps taken as read that we all know what to do and we were all brought up in that way. 
um, lots of people, I don't know, went to Glyndebourne when they were kids or <laughs> something like that. Wow. <laughs> or perhaps, um, yeah. Or perhaps, uh, I suppose there are a lot of people who have parents who are musicians. Yeah. Um, so all of these things then foster an environment in which classical music we kind of treat it in a certain way, I suppose. Um, but a lot of people, myself included, to a certain extent, uh, aren't from that. So yeah. I, yeah, I, I totally agree. There's there's a lot we can do that opens it up, uh, but with also without doing it in a patronising way. But just to all those people who are so interested, but haven't necessarily had the privilege of learning an instrument as a child or singing in a choir or going to concerts. Mm. I now really want to talk about this new project um, called <laughs> Humans of Classical Music, which got me so excited. I love the name. <laughs> I love the concept. Um, and I'd love you to explain what you're doing with Humans of Classical Music and what you're hoping that people get from this series. I'm really excited about this project as well. So <laughs> it's just, uh, it's so fresh and it's been my lockdown baby for the last few months um so if you've ever the easiest way of explaining it is if you've been following humans of new york or humans of greater london Mm. you'll see interviews of people on the street and it's just so great to hear from different people from different backgrounds and their experience of life so i have done the same thing for classical music so every thursday uh we've only had two so far so every thursday you're going to get a video of a creative so an actor a comedian a podcaster a musician talking about classical music their favorite piece of classical music in about a minute uh in 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 relatable in a relatable way so not using any kind of jargon um or that you know it's not it's not program notes (laughs) it's someone saying i really love this piece and it gets me up in the morning and makes me feel really positive um so I'm really hoping that it will give people a chance to discover classical music they might never have heard before or if they do already know the piece perhaps rediscover it through someone else's ears and hear it from their perspective it's amazing it's just such a great (laughs) idea (laughs) thank you and I well you know you asked me to be part of it back in September October something like that um and I was just like yeah okay and then I saw like all these different clips from it and I was just like like really emotional watching like loads of different types of people all speaking about classical music in one place in a way that is could be you know young children could understand it anyone could understand this and ah I just I think it's so so beautiful thank you I, I suppose part of it is I want to empower people to feel that they can talk about classical music. We wouldn't have an issue going to the Tate and saying, oh, I really like that one because of the colours, but I really don't like that because of the textures, or just talking about it in our mm. language. And I would really yeah. love us to have that kind of way of speaking about music. And I yeah. hope this series shows that you don't need to be a professor you don't need to be a music critic you don't need to mm. be anyone that's had any kind of background in this necessarily you can talk about how it makes you feel you can talk about oh it reminds me of the, uh you know the soundtrack to this or it just or oh, i really hate this because of 
you know, <laughs> we, we all have these visceral reactions. And yeah. I think that's that's so important to be able to just hear that in through someone else's ears. And yeah, uh, yeah. so I'm really looking forward to, to also there's, there's pieces that have been picked that I don't know, um, mm. or I don't know particularly well. So I'm really keen to uh, get the recommendations from people because I suppose nowadays in particular we do a lot of ambient listening I suppose where you're kind yeah. of perhaps working and it's music is on in the background or you're cooking there's always something else happening and something fantastic that has happened for me in lockdown is that I've been at, uh, with a few friends doing a listening club where we all put forward a piece of music and then we get together and we listen at the same time. I suppose it's like going to a gig, but it's a really mixed bag of things. So I tend to put forward a classical piece. Someone else might put forward drum and bass. Someone else will bring a jazz piece. And we all just sit there and we just talk about this music. And I suppose that's partly what's inspired this series, mm. just because it's so great to have, to be able to say to someone, oh, what is it you like about that? Because I don't really yeah. get what's going on here. Exactly. And I was quite surprised for myself, and I don't know if anyone else would feel the same, but how easy it was actually to talk about music without using jargon. Because you bring the jargon and it takes away how I really feel in a way. It's like, yeah, how do I really, how does this really make me feel? And it's like, it's a very human reaction. And mm. it's, a, it's a very kind of, I don't know it 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 does transcend any oh, I don't know how to explain like obviously knowing about the key structures and the analysis and everything is useful and can bring your awareness to a deeper level but actually the things that draw you to your favorite piece of music I don't think are necessarily about that mm i uh, yeah definitely yeah i think it would be just so nice just to I'm going to do it along with everyone else and that I'm going to just listen really listen to that piece and you know go on a walk and just tune into that and listen to what that person has said about it. You know, I haven't told anyone what, what to say. I've just, the brief was, um, just speak about it in a natural way, try not to use jargon, um, and try and keep it at around a minute. But beyond that, I haven't really curated mm. it. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to getting stuck in as much as everyone else. Um, I just hope that I can reach as many people around the world because it doesn't need to be in the UK um who would just love to discover more pieces um and you can be someone who knows a lot about classical music um or you can be someone who really has not really engaged with the genre at all um so I think it's pretty democratic in that sense mm. um so mm. I'm just hoping that I can reach as many people as possible um to really to share so. to share the joy because even if you find one piece or two pieces that you think that really grab you that's great because from there you can there's a spotify link that goes with each video and from there you can go and listen to the rest of the album or you can find pieces by the same composer or the same artist and i think it could be a really lovely way of just introducing someone and opening the door and then they can go and wander and see what else they can find mm. and am i right in thinking you've put together a playlist of all of the pieces as well Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah that's on uh, the Alternative Classical Spotify. And I'll be posting that probably every week <laughs> for the rest of the year. So if you uh, if you find us on social media at Alter Classical, um, then 
yeah it will be linked in all those places that's amazing um yeah it, it is it's just fab and I'm so excited to to listen to it and I'm honestly really kind of I don't know humbled by the way in which you talk about your projects not from kind of like almighty sort of puppeteer control and everything it's like you're you come at it and you curate from the center as something that you really love and that you're really interested in which is just so authentic and amazing and I just love that about the way you've talked about it and the way you you work oh that's so nice (laughs) thank you (laughs) yeah ah, it's so it's so lovely to hear someone it's just so clearly like so have started this from such a pure love for people and classical music yeah I'm so fascinated to hear what everyone has to say I think it's just so nice to bring the human part of classical music to people because I think that can also get a little bit lost in that we talk of organizations and I suppose even on stage we're quite impersonal a lot of the time in that everyone's wearing black so we've had our personality stripped (laughs) There there may be no announcements it may just be a case of you know the musicians come in and bow and play and then leave um which again that can work in some ways but I really like this idea that we can bring that humanity and that personal connection because a lot of pieces even as musicians there's a lot of pieces that we might think oh I really connect with that piece because it came to me at a really important time in my life or I associate it with this friend because of we played it together in orchestra or this is the first time I did a solo or something like that. So a lot of the time, it's just, oh yeah, it's just really nice to share to share those personal stories and connections. Mm. I, I kind of want to end with like a very, you, know, you might not have seen this question coming, but because you are <laughs> so active on social media and very good at promoting things. And I mean, I read your biography. Because, you know, I prepare so hard for this. <laughs> <laughs> and I just say that you sort of specialise in social media and mm. all of that. I would love to know how, in lockdown and in general, how you've maintained a balance with social media. And how do you not oversaturate yourself with stuff? And how can you maybe, I don't know, have that balance? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Mm, that's a really good question. Um, I do specialise in social media and I run the social channels for John Rutter, the composer. Um, So, yeah, I guess I do have social media just constantly in my life. But it is also quite a funny one because in a way I'm I'm not very active on my own social channels. And I think that's partly because it is my work and so it would be like taking a busman's holiday and also it means that I overanalyze everything I'm posting because I know how to optimize it but I kind of refuse to do that on my own channels um so I think I'm quite boundaried about it in my life in that I tend to log out of social media quite regularly so that if I find myself going to the twitter app on my phone I then have to log in and there's a kind of a barrier to make me go, are you sure you want to go on Twitter or are you just here because 
you're bored or you can't think what else to do. Maybe, maybe go and play the piano instead or something like that. Um, so I think that helps. I've actually left. Oh no, I think I'm back on at the moment, but most of the time I leave Facebook personally. Um, uh, so I think I do have to be quite strict about it, but then I am also immersed in it just because I have to be there for work um and now I'm so I'm running John Brutter's channels I'm running the alternative classical channels now also the humans of classical music channels uh I tend to if there are other projects that come along so someone might say can you run this campaign for us or I also do things like training and showing people how to uh how to do it um so yeah I don't know if I have a a tip-top answer to this really um and it's also yeah it's so fascinating I feel like I could talk about this forever um and it's also a really interesting one because because I work in what is essentially my hobby it's my Mm. passion so what I'm interested in personally or one of the things I'm interested in personally is classical music and then what I work in is classical music so even if I go onto my own twitter it's essentially all work stuff that pops up um so that's a really hard one to navigate in terms of how do you try and have any kind of work-life balance and I suppose in lockdown yeah it's a difficult one because also you're just there's no easy way of just being able to switch off and this is something that I think classical music is amazing for that if you do go to a concert it's so lovely. Can you imagine just going to a concert and just being somewhere for two hours that is not your flat where you've yeah. got constant access to notifications and people trying to get hold of you mm. and uh, tweets and news and that cycle. So I think now I see that as a really sacred space that you can just go somewhere and just turn everything off for two hours. And that's I think we all need that at the moment. That's a really good, that's a really, really <laughs> good point. Do you have any advice for people who want to promote themselves on social media or want to do it in a way where maybe they're scared of social media or feel like they're not the type of person or the type of musician that feels comfortable putting themselves out there? Do you have any advice for people with self-promotion or... Oh, yeah. yeah. Self-promotion is a whole thing because I think musicians now really need to be doing that and Uh, I suppose all musicians now or most musicians are businesses essentially Mm. because you have to be so much more entrepreneurial and uh, you know managing your schedule you're managing your invoices you're trying to get your own gigs you're you know you're you're balancing lots of different things Um, and so you have to be thinking about it as if you're I suppose okay so one one thing that I do is that I have to pretend that I am my own marketing manager. So no one else is going to promote Alternative Classical, so I have to do it. Um, The fact that it's my project, I suppose, makes it a bit awkward because it is essentially self-promotion. But Mm. then I suppose we have to think of the fact that people are following you for a reason. People want to know what you're up to. People want to know uh what your next project is and people are really excited about it and i think it's really nice to think oh i have this community of thousands of people who are all they you know they 
all want to hear this news and they all believe in the same mission. And I suppose you can think of it as your, you know, people want to hear that news. So you're just kind of delivering the goods um, and people aren't seeing it so much as, oh, you're trying to promote yourself yeah. or you're just, you're just spreading the word. But um, I don't know. It is a hard one because I also, I kind of fall into this as well. And I find it a lot easier promoting other people's work than my own. Um, yeah. There's this new pressure, especially with, you know, things becoming, having to become totally online. That, um, mm. you know, you, you kind of, these people that are, you know, more confident with that, you find mm. you hear a lot about them and then the people who were very talented but maybe don't find themselves feeling comfortable at the moment I think maybe they feel a bit lost about what to do or how to keep keep everything going um I think one thing that could be helpful I don't know is is uh some musicians I know have a separate account for them personally and then for their work stuff so there's some mm. way that you can kind of separate out those two aspects and then view one of them as this is my work, this is my business arm. And you can still put fun stuff on there, but it could be because a, a way of separating out those two parts of your life, because otherwise you perhaps find yourself feeling bad that, oh, I'm I'm posting this photo of a work thing to my friends. And that perhaps feels a bit icky I don't know like they might not want to see that they might just want to see the brownies that I made or the (laughs) walk that I just went on or like what I'm doing with my family or something like that and it's hard to then feel okay to say oh is anyone interested also in in what I'm doing or do you just feel like I'm plugging myself all the time and plugging all my projects yeah Uh, (laughs) so perhaps that's yeah (laughs) <laughs> that's some really really great advice i'm so glad i asked that question <laughs> you're so knowledgeable that's amazing oh, um, no. <laughs> and so yeah i could talk about all this for a long time so <laughs> yeah it's yeah. so interesting yeah well oh, wow well, thank you so so much for all of your both advice and it's been so fascinating to hear about your projects and you know i hope when we once come out of lockdown at some point, some time, <laughs> that <laughs> one these, day that, that it can just continue to grow and become, you know, more personal and ah. Oh, but I just, it's amazing how you've been able to change it as the pandemic has come and start new projects that still maintain this authenticity and still maintain your your real love for people and for classical music and bringing it all together. So, I think for yeah. me, in some ways, it's been strengthened during this time Mm. just that I think so before I was rushing around everywhere all the time and I always had meetings and concerts and appointments and all these things and and I'm always someone that's had I've just got so many ideas in my head there's so many things I want to do and there's only so many hours and there's only me doing them so I just have to ration them out and say okay you do your one project now and then you can do something else in six months um which it's not necessarily my natural state, but I have to yeah. force myself to, to do that. Otherwise, I would just be doing 100 different ideas all the time. Um, so I think for me, lockdown has been, I've just loved being able to throw myself into my projects and not feel like, oh, I just, I've only got an hour because then I need to get to this place. 
Um, yeah. But I, I love talking to people. So I, it's been so nice for me, even doing Humans of Classical Music, just reaching out to all these different people and having yeah. a little exchange with them. And having that, it's just, it's so nice for me. Because um, I used to host oh. uh, drinks for anyone who works in the classical industry. Um, I did that every month in London uh, before lockdown. And I suppose this is one of my ways of keeping in touch with everyone and just reaching out to some people that I don't know and just saying hi and sharing, sharing what I'm up to. So yeah. it's been nice. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. What don't you do? Seriously? Like oh, so, so, many oh, so many things. So many things. It's amazing. <laughs> and just thank you for being here. Thank you for, for bringing new life and new light to, to it all. And wow, I'm so excited to see what happens anyway. So thank oh. you so much for joining me and, yeah look forward to it thank you so much for inviting me it's been so lovely to meet you and chat with you and I've uh, been an admirer of your podcast for a long time and I think you're doing really valuable work and talking to so many interesting people so I'm always fascinated to hear um, the next guest and I've downloaded your latest one actually from today (laughs) to listen to later so (laughs) so thank you thank you (laughs) oh you're so welcome